Hello listeners, this is Sharon. Many of you have heard Jeremy and I as we have discussed the new COVID vaccine. And I'm here to tell you I took the first dose of the Moderna vaccine on December the 22nd. And yes, I knocked Jeremy down to get there first. As you all know, we are all professionally responsible for taking care of patients on a daily basis, but we're also socially responsible to lead by example, playing our part towards ending this pandemic. Hopefully, this is the beginning of the end of COVID-19. Hopefully, all of you will also consider getting vaccinated as it becomes more widely available over the next few months and play your part. Let's do this together. And if I need you guys to help me hold Jeremy down to get his, I will be calling on you very soon. So I'd like to send a shout out to Dr. Trevetti at Piedmont Healthcare, where I work, who debates with me and teaches me every day whenever I work with him. He's one of the smartest guys that I know. And he got his vaccine before I did. Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, welcome to the studio. Oh, it's so good to be back in here. Now, look, I have... Except the, I can't see out the window. Well, you told me to put up the black curtains, oh, you know? I've got to be careful what I tell you over text, though. You remember that? I sent you the text, and I said, hey, look, Sharon, I've got the lights in here, I've got the camera, <laughs> and I've got the black curtains. And then afterwards, I thought about it, I thought, oh, Lord, if Pierce, Pierce. gets that text, <laughs> he's really going to wonder what in the heck we're doing in I here. I know, so, right? Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we've got everything. Hey, look, both cameras are working. They are. The monitors are working. They are. You've got my light a sign on. behind you. And you've I got your light on. on. It's not I helping. Mean, <laughs> you know, hey, I'm Mr. Technology today. I know. You just need to raise this monitor up. You know, they did a study on that. And women, when they make pictures, they make them from 
up above, above. them because yeah. it makes them look smaller. Men take huh. them from below because it makes them look bigger. Oh, huh. Didn't know mm-hmm. that. Didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But that is a good tidbit to know. Yep. So you need to raise my monitor and, and lower mine. And lower yours. <laughs> okay. I'll work on that one. I'll work on that one. That's your uh, next goal. You're always giving me something to do. So I know. I kind of feel like I'm at home. <laughs> All right. So we got a great show today. Oh, you know this I'm This is right down your alley, one. isn't it, Sharon Pierce? Oh, my gosh. It is. And I'm going to go ahead and just spill the beans right now. We have the first two CRNAs elected to state legislatures. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, actually, they think there was one in Illinois. She never told anybody she was a CRNA, and her husband was a physician. And Wanda Wilson told me about her, but we know nothing about her. I can't find her. I mean... So, so we're I'm just sure going to assume true. that these two ladies are... That they are number one. Number one. So. Yes. And we have with us today, Sydney Davis. Welcome, Sydney. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And we also have Taylor Rayfelt. Did I get it right, Taylor? You did. All right, I nailed it. Yes. <laughs> I always worry about saying people's names, especially since we had... Who do we have on that had the little dog and... Oh, Dan Lovenier. Dan Lovenier, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, when the, he was PR committee chair. And I, and I thought the dog's name was Hermes. Hermes. And it's Hermes. I was like, what is Hermes? I mean, it's not something that I would ever buy. I had no idea. I'm Hermes. <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> oh, me. That's all right. So, Well, ladies, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves? I mean, Sharon kind of gave us um, a little bit of background, but Sydney, we'll start with you. Sure. So I've lived in South Dakota my whole life. I've been practicing nurse anesthesia. I've been in the profession now for five years, and I attended Mount Marty College here in South Dakota. So just kind of a born and raised South Dakota girl, never left, <laughs> not even to get my education. So pretty excited to be elected and serve my states that I've, you know, lived here my whole life and hold pretty near and dear to my heart and just excited for this new adventure and a new way to give back. Yeah, so, that's great. Yeah. And, you, and you do have that South Dakota accent. I can just pick up on it just a little bit. <laughs> I've and been told that. Do yeah. you pick up on my New York accent? I mean, are you getting it? Is it coming through? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yes. good, good. And Sharon's too, you know. That's Sharon's got one. that definite yes. yeah, New York accent. So. For sure, for um, sure. All right. And Taylor, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I graduated from anesthesia school at Mount Marty University, and I'm actually a faculty member there now. But I graduated in 2016, and I have worked in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I also work in a couple areas for locums as a provider but primarily in education. I have a five and a three-year-old. My husband's also a nurse. Really, really excited to be elected into the legislature. I feel like it's super fun that Sydney and I were elected together. Um, We had a really great time during campaign season, especially being able to collaborate and bounce ideas off each other and really build up our friendship too. It's been great. So did you guys know each other before? Through the school? We did. Through the school? We did, actually. Erin McKinnon, ICU, before we went to anesthesia school. Cindy went before me okay. the year before. So, Wow. How nice. cool is that? That's, and that's and really neat. you're from, you said Sioux Falls, Taylor? Yeah, Sioux Falls is the biggest city in South Dakota. So it's the biggest metropolitan area where most of the healthcare systems are kind of based. 
there's three major healthcare systems in South Dakota, Sanford, Avera, and then Monument Health, which is in Rapid City. Okay, the reason why I ask, a good friend of mine, Carol Deutscher, is originally from Sioux Falls. Yeah, I know Carol. She's great. Duh. She's one of the Fab Four. We'll be in Vegas together in just a couple of weeks. Are you going to video all Ooh, this so we can make a movie out of it? Uh, in Vegas? <laughs> like, no. The, not the hangover, but the hungover? <laughs> Carol, Carol doesn't. Yeah, right. Carol doesn't drink much. Uh, um, but Carol's wonderful. But she is, she, she's got that South Dakotan accent. But now she's in Minnesota. Yeah. All right, so I've got questions. So did you guys in school, did you talk about, hey, one day we're going to get out, we're going to run for the state legislature? Is that kind of how it went? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure Taylor maybe feels a little bit this way too, but I don't think I ever imagined myself ever doing anything like this. And, you know, it was, I think we can both agree, Our we worked on some CRNA legislation and through that process, we found ourselves feeling more confident about running for the legislature, really opened our eyes to work that needs to be done, areas of healthcare, especially on a state level that need to be advocated for. And just, it really felt like the right thing to do at the right time, the right place, and just felt like something I personally felt like a calling to do, I guess. So, so Taylor, was it an open seat that you ran for? So the senator turned out and the current representative jumped to the Senate to run. Okay. So there was an open seat. Yes. Okay. And did you have a primary? I did. Uh-huh. I had a pretty hefty primary. Yes. Which was when the height of COVID was happening. So it really required a lot of creativity and a lot of different campaign strategies, which was very interesting as a first time candidate. And it required, like, for lack of better terms, a lot of tenacity and maybe a little kind of stalking of your constituents in some weird ways. I know that sounds like a weird term to use, but you had to use modalities that weren't commonly used previously with campaigning, such as Facebook, even Facebook messaging. I know that both Sydney and I both use that as a modality during the primary. And just a really unique way to connect with people without making them feel too intrusive especially Mm -hmm. with COVID I mean I didn't feel comfortable going door to door at that point Mm, that was going to be my next question Mm -hmm. which is a shame I'm sorry you didn't get to do that because even though it's hard to get people to door knock for you it's the most fun thing I did when I was campaigning for the house in North Carolina so I'm sad that you didn't get that opportunity to do that so what about you Sydney were you an open seat It was a really unique opportunity for my district. Both representatives were, so each district in South Dakota gets two representatives in the house. So both of my representatives for district 17 were termed out. So there was not just one, there was two open seats. Okay. When you say termed out, that means you've got term limits. So what are your term limits in South Dakota? It is eight years, which is, we have two year terms so four terms so you can serve four consecutive terms in that chamber that doesn't stop you though from moving from one chamber to the other and there are legislators there's not very many of them but there's a few that have gone 
you know, eight years in the house, then on to eight years in the Senate and then back to the house. I would. Oh, wow. I figured that's what they were going to say. They always find a way uh, <laughs> around that. So did you have a primary, Sydney? I did as well. I was one of four candidates for my primary. Oh, my. So it was very, you know, especially our primary was June 2nd. Mm-hmm. And so the beginning of our primary campaign season was kind of in that March, April, May time where, you know, everybody kind of shut down for COVID. It was kind of that six week period where elective procedures were not happening. There was really just a really nationwide effort to clamp down movement. And so a lot like Taylor said, um, especially as new candidates, I mean, there's no fall general election if you don't make it out of your primary. So it was really, um, I was thankful that we had each other to be creative and bounce ideas off of each other to come up with different ways to engage with constituents, especially in that time frame, because there just wasn't, we were new candidates. Nobody knew who we were. So when do y'all file? If your primary's in June, when did you file for office? I believe it was, the deadline was the middle of March. Mm. So y'all file pretty late. You don't have a lot of time once you file till you hit your primary. Good Lord. So from March to June? <laughs> yeah. Holy it's cow. A, you were right out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cindy, did any of the other folks that were in your primary, did they have prior experience? No. No. We were all, so no uh, okay. we were all fresh candidates. Wow. So... so uh, Taylor, were you just a two two person primary? Well, it's a three person, and then three. two get through for the house side. Yes, yeah, so there were three people, and one of them was an experienced, previously elected individual. Ah. Did that person make it through as well, or they made it through the primary, but not the general? Okay, interesting. Wow. Well, good for both of you guys. Yeah, so, that's what awesome. were some of the other innovative things you did besides Facebook? You know, like during the summer when um, people felt more comfortable, we both did some in-person and some door-to-door knocking, but it was also, but it was also being very cognizant of Mm -hmm. people's concerns and, and even for our own safety to be cognizant of those guidelines and going about things in a safe way, keeping distances at doors, um, wearing masks, hand sanitizing frequently, just all of those things I think was crucial to the success of, of trying to make those connections. I felt like the summer and fall, it was different, but it felt a little more normal. We did a lot more. I had the opportunity to do like some Zoom forums mm-hmm. um, where typically in the past, those were in-person type of interactions where like the chamber of commerce, local chamber of commerce, you know, would host the candidates and, and instead they did a zoom forum and put it on their Facebook live so that it was more accessible to voters. And, and that's one thing that is really unique to South Dakota is voters. And maybe you can help me with this Taylor, but voters connect in South Dakota, specifically voters connect on Facebook, most likely with their Mm -hmm. Hmm. representatives they they search on facebook first they look for pages they look for personal profiles and that's kind of the main way voters tend to reach out in south dakota that's kind of what some of our 
data analysis people have kind of told us within the state parties. So it's interesting to hear that because now you've got all this social media stuff going around about how powerful mm-hmm. is social media. I mean, mm-hmm. that's another example right there. Hey, Taylor, why don't you walk us through, like, you know, from how did you decide? What made you kind of go down this path, you know, from the time you thought, oh, maybe I'll do this to, hey, I got elected? Yeah, sure. So really the legislative process and going through Senate Bill 50, which for those of you that don't know, that was basically getting CRNA full practice authority in South Dakota. That process for me started in 2017 when I went back to Mount Marty University to get my doctorate. And as a part of my doctoral project, I actually completed it on the APRN consensus model and the importance of APRN full scope of practice. And so a part of that was educating South Dakota CRNAs about where our laws were not full practice and what we needed to do to move forward. So as a part of that process and moving forward with my doctoral project, I started to kind of get the bug, for lack of better terms, of (laughs) wanting to potentially contribute more. And then my mentor is actually Senator Deb Solholt, who is the senator currently in my district. And she is, I would consider, one of the largest nurse leaders within the legislature. And she's done a lot to contribute to both to really APRN practice and nursing practice overall. In 2017, they moved forward with nurse midwives and nurse practitioners. And so we really identified that we wanted her to be kind of our core sponsor And so through her mentorship, she really encouraged me to run. And we kind of started creating a plan this last summer of how that would look. But my number one goal through all of it was to make sure that Senate Bill 50 was fully passed and through before this became my priority, because that was always going to be my number one. So what about you, Sydney? You didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I think (laughs) I'm going to run for office. Now, I just want before you answer, I'm going to tell you. Women don't do that. Men do. They'll wake up and look in the mirror and go, hey, I think I can be president. A woman usually has to be asked seven times before she'll run for office. Now, how do you know that? You're not a man. (sighs) How do you know that? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, Sydney, (laughs) we digress. But what, what was your process? You know... It was a little bit different than Taylor's. Taylor was definitely the leader on Senate Bill 50 and um, based kind of on our previous friendship and also kind of catching a bug for lack of better words too, as far as just wanting to be more involved in that process. When it came time to Senate Bill 50, we had a really strong grassroots effort. And I asked, I was asked Taylor, hey, what do you need? How do we make this happen? And so that's what we that's where I could help was with the grassroots part, especially in my area of South Dakota, which is about an hour south of Sioux Falls. So I'm kind of in that southeastern corridor. And I I was passionate about the bill because I work in a critical access hospital where we're CRNA only, we're a very much needed service, you know, ER doctors, our surgeon, everybody, we all work together because we have to. And so I just was really passionate about the bill, started speaking with legislators and educating and doing some lobbying up at the Capitol, our state Capitol for that. And throughout that process, especially getting to know our local ones, you talk about being asked about seven times. I mean, it was probably at least that, that, you know, we have two open seats. You should really consider this. And 
And there were moments, don't get me wrong, that I was like, hey, this is really cool. I should do this someday. And the more and more, especially our local ones, were like, no, I think that some days now there's a really unique opportunity with two open seats. You should really just consider it, think about it, see what you can do to make it happen. So it was probably not as long of a, a super long, considerable thought process for me, but that was probably for the best <laughs> that, you know, I kind of had to take a bull by the horns kind of approach. And But I really do think that process of kind of watching the bill go through the legislature, being on the floor, lobbying to legislators as a CRNA personally, they always thought that that was really impactful and really neat that it wasn't some hired lobbyist. Mm -hmm. It was actually me, the person that boots on the ground that did this there to answer their questions and do it in an accurate way for them. And they felt like I was, you know, came across genuine in that way. So I felt like our message was received well. And so I would say a lot of the encouragement that I received and in that process just gave me the confidence too to just be like, Hey, you know, I think I can do this. Right. And and it was just in the back of my mind thinking like, Oh, maybe someday. But then there was enough people that twisted my arm to think, Hey, I think that's some days now. And so now are y'all Republicans or Democrats? <laughs> Republicans. Yeah. Yep. You know, the reason, well, obviously it's public record anyway, but the reason why I ask is it's hard for Republican women to get out of primaries. That's the reason why we are so under, I'm a, I'm an R. We're so underrepresented, even though at congressional level, I think Republican women picked up 11 seats, 11 seats yeah. um, mm-hmm. this time. But we can't get out of a primary. And I didn't get out of my primary. Now, how much money did you have to raise for your seats? You can go, Taylor. Well, Yours is more impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I have to raise a little bit more than usual because I think that COVID actually required me to kind of pivot my thought process where I really thought of the campaign season and voting day rather than it being November 3rd. I thought of it as as soon as absentee voting opened was when it was go time. So September 18th was for the general when absentee voting opened. And for myself, that meant that I needed to be hitting it hard, having a mailer go out each week just so that somebody would see me all of that time in case they were voting at that week or moment in time. So I definitely, in a very highly urban area, had to concentrate more on mailers and billboards and advertisement versus any other modality of communication. So thankfully, our districts are smaller in South Dakota. So I think our comparison of what we have to raise here in South Dakota is way less than other states. I definitely acknowledge that. But I, between the two, I think I raised between probably sixty to 70000 That's great. Between the primary and the general. Nice. Yeah. How about you, Sydney? Yeah, I. my district's a little bit different, a little more rural. And you probably include that in when I said I worked at a critical access hospital. But so I have two whole counties that I represent. And the main population center is like a small college town where the hospital is that I work. So, so for me, there was no billboards, you know, I, so I, I saved some money in that way, much like Taylor in with COVID, there was such a heavy emphasis on absentee voting in South Dakota to request a ballot by mail and that secure process that 
our voters can go through. And so, yeah, there was a lot of absentee voting. And so it was really kind of hit the ground running. It felt like every day was election day between the middle of September till November. So it was just kind of intense. <laughs> and all of the previous advice we got from other maybe more experienced legislators or people that had done this in the past, it just was kind of null and void. It didn't really matter because mm-hmm. it was just a different year. And for my primary, I didn't need to spend quite as much as Taylor did because I don't have the population she does. And I didn't have like the big expenses like billboards, but I still did some radio, newspaper, mailers, Facebook. I probably spent about 8000 on my primary and about 18000 on my general. Nice. So let me ask you, did the anesthesiologists come after you guys? They did not. Wow. I mean, I I don't know. Well, Taylor, did you have any different? So there's no, there's not, they don't really have a reason to come after me per se, because I'm critical access. They're not coming here anyways. (laughs) So, but I don't don't know, Taylor, did you have a different experience? I was definitely concerned about it, especially being the president of the South Dakota Association of Nurse and Estivists mm-hmm. when Senate Bill 50 passed. Yeah, I was definitely worried. I did not hear of anything or any remarks from the anesthesiologist about myself particularly. I am surprised by that, but I also think that even though COVID was not a great thing to be working with, I think it was a nice distraction for people that may have made a big deal or a stink about me running. They were distracted by something else, which is in some ways a blessing, I think. Also, I think that the culture of South Dakota is not to do negative advertising. And if people are going to negatively advertise, I think it can actually sometimes have a reverse effect where it actually damages the candidate that they're trying to help. Hmm. So I think because of that, too, that's acknowledged within our state that if you're going to do negative advertising, you might have the opposite reaction of what wow. you what you wanted. I wish I wish the United States was more like South Dakota. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. I'm going to move to yeah. South Dakota now if it wasn't for all the snow. Because <laughs> in North Carolina, the anesthesiologist opened a super PAC and dumped a quarter of a million in against me and spent wow. all that money against wow. my candidacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's to me really sad because even though you're a CRNA and in the anesthesia world, you have opposite maybe viewpoints on things, you're still a nurse. You're right. still a healthcare provider. And on most of the other things, you're probably going to align 99% of the time. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of being a nurse, whenever you talk to people, did you say I'm a nurse anesthetist or did you say I am a nurse just stopped it at that I think Sydney and I varied a little bit on this I would identify myself primarily as a nurse in my advertising and part of that was because I felt like there was a lack of understanding Mm -hmm. of what a nurse anesthetist is and in South Dakota we get confused with a anesthetician (laughs) yes Yeah, I can't even say their name. I can say my name, but not theirs. And so I was concerned that there would be some confusion there. But when I went door to door and I went, I probably knocked on over 6,000 doors. I always identified myself as a nurse and a nurse anesthetist and a healthcare provider because I think it's important that people understand what our profession is. And I think it's a really important part of advocacy. And I plan to continue to identify myself as a nurse and a nurse anesthetist so people can learn about our profession. Good point. So, Sydney, what about you? 
Likewise, I kind of changed my, especially like when I do newspaper advertising, I would usually write like healthcare provider or just nurse. But as time kind of went on, um, my messaging kind of even changed that a little bit more. And I focused more on issues. I didn't, didn't even necessarily talk a lot about or would post a lot about me personally. I would talk more about issues, but especially for our community in a lot of the patients that I take care of or recognize like, oh, she was the lady that did my labor epidural or she's the one that did my colonoscopy or things like that. So I would, you you know, especially on a in-person basis, I feel like it's so much easier to just say I'm a nurse anesthetist Mm -hmm. and people, then it's easier to kind of tell like if they have questions or you can kind of elaborate and be like, yep, I'm, I'm the gal that does all the anesthesia at the hospital here in town. And (laughs) then they kind of like the light bulb goes off and, and they can correlate that. So I think that's so crucial. It's, it's a lot easier to do that and introduce yourself and be able to kind of clear up any sort of misunderstanding when you're doing it in person. But most of the time, I mean, especially on like my Facebook posts, I would either write that I'm a healthcare provider or a nurse anesthetist. So, hey Sydney, <laughs> uh, you know, if you do my colonoscopy, I really don't want to see you again. I mean, I'm just <laughs> telling you. But um, Taylor, I got a question for you. So, um, to pivot a little bit from that comment, you know, you think that nurses should run for office, and, and something I found interesting as well is you thought young moms and women in general need to. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. So something I've noticed, at least in South Dakota, and really in other states when I've kind of analyzed their lawmakers, Mm -hmm. is that you kind of have this gap. You have a lot of retired individuals or individuals that are owners of businesses, and honestly, a majority of men. Uh, And really, when you think about... and stale. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I really think is important is that we have a diverse population that's representing your constituents. And the bottom line is, is that the people living in South Dakota are not all 70 male and white Mm -hmm. and retired. And so when you have a population that's serving people that doesn't have a perspective of a different lifestyle, I think that that can cause some issues. Not to say that those individuals don't have some valuable knowledge and great things to offer, but I think there just needs to be some balance. And I think as women, we need to step into that space and step into that space, especially as moms and even more important as nurses, because as nurses, we have such a great knowledge base and some combination of qualities as moms, women, and nurses, which include empathy and compassion and an understanding of people, just people in general, which I think in order to be a successful lawmaker, you have to be able to relate to others. And I think that's what we can offer as mothers, women, and nurses. Uh, Taylor, how, what does your family think about you doing this? I mean, obviously, you've got, what was it, five and three-year-old, I believe? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so how much of your time is being taken away by this? Quite a bit of time, especially during campaign season. And gratefully, I have a wonderful husband. His name is Corey, and he's also a nurse. And I really wouldn't be able to do any of this without him. Thankfully, also, I have a mother and father-in-law that live one mile from where I live. (laughs) Built-in babysitters. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, They have picked up some of my slack, which is amazing. And I just have a great support system. What I've really had to do is prioritize my family, though. So 
I identified certain times of the evening that were specifically for my family during campaign season. And I really tried to not deviate from that. And I plan to use the same kind of mindset as I go forward in my new role. And I've even started to be, I think, a little bit more mindful of balance now that election season is over. I think we kind of get into this whole, you know, you have to run, 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 kind of the, the sprint marathon. And once it is done, you have more time to reflect. And part of that reflection for me is to definitely make sure to continue to prioritize my family. Yeah. Now, Sydney, what about you? Time commitment, you know, because I hear a lot of times that especially nurse anesthetists, nurses, we're so busy anyways, you know, how am I going to have time to fit this in? Right. I'm no different than anybody else. I've got a, a three-year-old three son, um, my husband as well, and we live on a farm. We have yeah. cattle and my husband and I, we both work jobs off the farm too. So we kind of thrive on a busy schedule and we enjoy that. But much to like Taylor said, it's all about prioritizing. And I'm very thankful that my position in the organization that I work for is one of the larger health systems. And they've been very supportive of my run for office and, you know, supporting me while, you know, bringing in help so that I can be excused to serve in public office. And, and that's been helpful too, knowing that I'm going to have a job to come home to right, right, <laughs> when I'm, right. when I'm come home from the Capitol, but it's definitely, you know, South Dakota has runs a very constituent based legislature. Our legislative session is only 10 weeks long, hmm. runs hmm. from the middle of January to the middle of March. And the majority of people, it tends to attract, you know, retired lawmakers, but a lot of them do own businesses or have other jobs or outside. Everybody's got a life outside of, of right. the legislature right. because we only meet for such a short time. And so, but that doesn't mean the work isn't done because um, like even this campaign season, plus now that the election's even over, we're still, we're both of us are still getting emails, phone calls from constituents as we ramp up and kind of get closer to session starting that, have concerns about certain laws that they think are coming up or gonna we're gonna be hearing or issues or want our perspective on certain areas and and so the, the work is really never never done but um, it's definitely more than just the 30 37 days up in pier our state capital so wow but wow. Uh, session yeah. limits so you guys have session limits yes okay. yes which I, is great yes um, in North Carolina the legislature runs about 11 months during long mm. session and it is supposedly oh, wow. a citizen legislature but that being <laughs> said citizens that don't work well yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly what these ladies were alluding to before yeah and actually kimberly and i were talking about this because we got the schedule of all 50 state legislatures because you guys made us start thinking about this crnas don't run for office because they need to work. Right. Most of them are the breadwinners <laughs> of the family. But we need to start targeting states exactly like you guys live in for CRNAs to run for office. If you've only got a 30-day session, right. you know, we can take that amount of time off. How much money do you, you guys get? In North Carolina, for 11 months, you get $13,900 a year. Okay, that's not even my uh, my clothing allowance. So, 
Well, it is according to your husband, but not according to you. <laughs> so how much do you guys make? As it's a, similar to that. But for 30 days, not 11 months. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. There's right. like a, it's like, I think about 12,600. And then there is this meet like a stipe, like it's a $6,000 stipend for right. your lodging meals. Right. Right. Um, but it, and Taylor, maybe you can help me on this one, but it's the rate also goes a lot, flexes a little bit with the median salary of the average South Dakotan too. Mm-hmm. I believe. Wow. One thing is the median salary so you're always flex based on what the median salary is okay all right so taylor we'll start with you what issues do you want to tackle as a legislator oh this is a hard question for me because i tend to be one of those people that has 50 million things in my mind (laughs) that i would like to do so i'm just going to stick to the healthcare realm since that's what we're in for this podcast but really mental health long-term care Access to healthcare and licensing issues are really where I'd like to concentrate my efforts. There's a lot of other things that are happening, and within mental health, I'd really like to look at substance abuse and addiction as part of that. Mm-hmm. Our state has a lot of issues in that area with funding, with access to finding services. So that's really where I'd like to prioritize my my first thoughts. But a lot of my priority this first year is really to soak it all in and learn as much as I possibly can and really create relationships because I don't believe that when you have successful bills or legislation that you can do that unless you have those base relationships with your fellow legislators. So that's really where I'd like to concentrate. Okay, good. Sydney, what about you? Yeah, much like Taylor the needs of South Dakotans, especially in the healthcare realm, those are much like she said, a lot of the big issues. Mm-hmm. Um, are, we have long-term care facilities that are closing and especially being really hit hard with COVID. And we need innovative, different ideas to try to um, remedy some of these crises because it's important. We need these services, especially in our rural areas. So I'm excited to kind of bring that perspective of um, a boots on the ground type of provider and different ideas, somebody with that healthcare knowledge and background, because there really wasn't a lot. Um, Senator Deb Soholt was a huge healthcare champion, and um, she'll be leaving term limited from the legislature in South Dakota here soon. And so um, hopefully Taylor and I can try to fill those big shoes of hers. <laughs> but, um, sure. you know, I know this is a healthcare podcast, but one thing too, throughout that Senate Bill 50 legislative bill experience was, you know, I'm a Born and raised South Dakota farm girl, I continue to live that lifestyle with my husband and my son and um, hope to have something, you know, my son would like to continue in the agriculture realm of things I want him to be able to. And so preserving those types of opportunities for future generations is is something that I um, hope to be an advocate for. And again, like we've kind of talked about and touched on, there's there's not much of a perspective of young working parents mm-hmm. in the right. legislature. So just kind of highlighting some of the the struggles that we experience when it comes to finding childcare right. and right. things of that nature, education. I just think there's a lot of areas um, for opportunity to be a good advocate. And um, there's a lot to learn as a freshman. And so, and especially with COVID, it's going to really challenge our legislature in the productivity of everything. So hopefully we can uh, mitigate spread um, up yeah. at the Capitol and we can be productive this session. 
Well, representation does matter. And speaking of that, how many women are in the legislature? Do you, you guys know your breakdown? Because nationwide, only 24% of all spots in state legislatures are women. And the last I checked, we're at least 50% of the population, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I believe we have a record number of women this yeah. set, I, like this year. I think that's happening. And one other question. Do you believe that being a nurse in the time of COVID helped your campaigns? Absolutely. Yeah. That's what that's it. You know, I don't know if you guys know that whenever I say Kimberly, that's my colleague. I'm going back to get my DMP and we were going to set up the first campaign school for nurses that's ever been in the country at Yale. Of course, COVID shut that down. The uh, physicians have been training their own to run for office since the 1970s. And the nurses are woefully, woefully behind. And when we tried to find out how many nurses have served in legislatures across the country when we went to the conference of legislatures, do you realize that we're classified as blue-collar workers and they don't track us? Wow. Not nurses. I didn't know that. We are huh. blue-collar workers, wow. according to the poli-sci literature. Huh. Wow. And they don't. That should fire up every nurse around the country, just well, that hey. one st- statistic. I should have used that in my campaign material. <laughs> I know, right? Wow. <laughs> we, yeah, really. Wow. We are blue-collar. We're not considered professionals. Wow. Wow, that's uh, Let that interesting to know. <laughs> interesting to know, especially uh, to our group of CRNAs that we talk to all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, blue collar. Well, we want to thank you both for for being on the show today, and congratulations! I mean, we you're just so being the, proud of you. Yes. Oh my gosh, you're just so being proud. great examples to not only women but to CRNAs, to nurses everywhere. And yeah, we're very proud to have you guys representing not only. CRNAs, but women in general around the country. So, um, and you're in the majority party. Yes, yes. You both <laughs> smiled really big on that one. I so. like that. It's fun. <laughs> so maybe you'll get something party. done, right? It doesn't matter yeah. which party it is. It's fun. Super to majority. Be in the majority. <laughs> yeah, we've got a super majority oh, in South Dakota. My goodness, yeah. you guys are set up so well. I'm so proud. I'm uh, enjoy this. Fingers crossed. That's right. Um, well, Taylor, Sydney, thank you for being on today, and we wish you continued success and everything you guys do. Yep, and yeah, we'll, I'll keep I'll keep up with you, ladies. And if you are ever at an AA and A meeting, please look me up if we ever have them again. Oh, we will. The vaccine's <laughs> on the way. Yes, that's what they say. I mean, if we can, yes, I'm gonna be what they first say. in line I mean, I to get know. that thing. I'm gonna knock now, you down. That's funny. I was gonna ask you about that. I'm not gonna be first in line or anything. Oh yeah, you know? buddy, I will be. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to be a wrap, Sharon. I think so. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, the single best way to do that is to tell others. Tell others to listen, right? Share us. Like us, share us. You know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country now. And Sharon, our goal is to be... Well, you want to be number one. I want to be number I one. I want to be number she one. She wants to be in the top ten. At I want to be number well, one. Well, you know, yeah. back in my day, if you were a ten, that was a good thing. <laughs> oh, now we're looking Bo at it from Derek, that way. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. 
Bo Derek. I bet uh, 99% of our listeners don't know don't who that is. Don't even know who that Shame, is. So you know, it's about so. like whenever I was going to see Donnie Osmond, I had tickets. My Who's daughter, that? shut up. <laughs> and and I was at work and all these girls, I'm like, I got to get out of here. I gotta, oh, I'm got i going to get to see Donnie Osmond. And they go, who is that? I go, well, it's my generation's Justin Bieber, I guess, <laughs> or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, before you age anymore, let's uh, let's wrap this one up. So, <laughs> let's um, do it. All right. Until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.